Well, good morning, Red Hills Foursquare Church. How are you? It's good to see you this morning. For those that are online, we just want to welcome you. It's good to be together. It really is. And if uh, pastors Aaron and Brianne are tuning in this morning, uh, we just want to pray God's rest and best for you as you just wrap up this sabbatical season. Your team has done amazing. So the team here has really done a great job. I think you should give a shout out to the team here at Red Hills. Would you do that? I think they've just done a... They've done a great job just leading you guys during this time. I've had a lot of interaction with Pastor Andy and Kate, and, and I've really, really enjoyed uh, those interactions that we've been able to have with each other. And, and as Andy would say, y'all are amazing. Y'all are amazing. And so, uh, is that right? Is that pretty accurate? And so... Uh, I love this place because uh, I've had a, a great relationship with this church for several years. Those that uh, let me keep coming back, thanks for letting me hang out with you. I really appreciate that. But it really is a place where you can come and you can have a sense, a sense of belonging. I remember several, several years ago, I was in a grocery store and, and, and down the aisle I saw a grandmother walking with her grandson. And, and he saw me, he noticed me, and he, uh, he, he, he lifted his hands up and he started pointing. And, and, and I thought he was going to say, that's my pastor, because he attended our church. And you know what he said? He said, hey, that guy goes to my church. And I thought, you know what? That's probably one of the best answers that anyone could ever give who belongs to a local church community. Hey, that person goes to my church. So thanks for letting me go to your church. I really appreciate it. So it's been a lot of fun, especially these last uh, few months visiting you, spending time with you. It's, it's great. So let's do this. I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10 together, and we're going to continue our series, Parables, the Stories That, that Shape Us. Have you, have you enjoyed going through the parables and the Gospels? It's, it's really, it really is life-changing when you, when you dive now, you got to know this about me. I'm a little bit of a, of a context freak. And what I mean by that is I, I kind of want to know what's the story behind the story. I mean, what leads up to the story? And there's some things that lead up to the story that we're going to read about this morning. In Luke chapter 9, so if you go back just one chapter to verse 51, we're told that Jesus is setting his, his face. The word says he's setting his heart resolutely toward Jerusalem. That's important right there. That means something because it's a turning point. It's actually a turning point in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, up to this point, the ministry of Jesus has been centered in Galilee. And now it's beginning to change. And what happens here is up to this point, Luke has focused on the works of Jesus. And now he's going to begin to focus on the words of Jesus. So if you notice reading from this point on in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to notice a lot more red letters. And that's because Luke finds it so important to focus in on what Jesus is saying. So it moves from the miracles of Jesus to the message of Jesus. So Jesus is headed to the cross. That's where he's going. That's what he's resolute about. He's resolute about our redemption, our salvation. That he's going to go and he's going to lay his life down and he's going to raise again so that we would have everlasting life. So here's the message. It's the message of good news. It's the gospel. Uh, I love what Martin Luther said. He said, if you preach the gospel in every way, with the exception of being specific to the times you live in, 
then you're not preaching the gospel at all. And I would say amen to that. And what we need to know, I think, what we want to feel and sense is that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's never irrelevant. The beauty of the gospel is that it is the answer to every issue in every season, in every period in human history. The gospel is the answer, and it is the answer for us today. The gospel, it's the good news of Jesus. So when we look at this parable, and we look at it this morning together, this parable is found again in Luke chapter 10. And in the first 24 verses, what Jesus does is he doubles down with his disciples. He, he's preparing them to live life after he's physically gone from the planet. And so what does he do? He gathers 70 of his brightest and his best. And what he wants to do is prepare them, and, and he wants them to go out with the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants them to go out with the gospel message. So when you look at this, I think there's a few questions I always ask when I, when I see these specific numbers. I mean, why 70? Well, you want an answer to that? You can connect to Exodus chapter 18. It's where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came to him and said, man, you're overworked, man. You're underpaid. What you need to do is you need to get some good people around you that help you resolve some of the issues that you're facing today. So what does he do? He gets 70 elders. And then we read about 12 apostles. Well, that represents, I think, mostly it represents the, the tribes of Israel. And so, so what Jesus does is he brings them together and he says, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out to preach the good news of God's kingdom. And he lets them know, this is what a good leader does. He lets them know what they're going to, uh, what they're going to confront, what they're going to face. And, and so I'm going to ask you this. If, if, if you heard what Jesus tells his disciples, would you stay in there? I mean, would you hang out? Would you still follow Jesus Christ? Because what he says, he says, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so the first thing you need to do is you need to pray. And you need to pray, and you need to pray some more. And he says this, because you are being sent out like lambs among wolves. I mean, thanks for the PR on that one. I mean, if that one's going to scare you, that, that's the one that would right there. And he says, so when you go out, know that, and travel lightly. So he's saying, don't, hey, don't carry a lot of stuff with you. Be focused on the mission. Be focused on the things that you need to say and the way that you should live. And then he says, when you do this, then go out and preach and heal people who are sick. And so he gives them these instructions and he says, I want you to go do this. I want you to go into a world that doesn't like you and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the next thing that happens is this is another run in with the, the scribes, the Pharisees. Jesus has an encounter here. That really leads up to the story of the Good Samaritan. He has an encounter with an expert in the law of Moses. So I want you to listen just for a moment to this interaction in uh, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. It says this, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. The literal term there is to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. You see, he didn't feel like he, he got enough flesh out of Jesus. He felt like he, he was leaving something on the table there. So he comes back at Jesus. He comes back at him a second time. And he asked the question, then who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, he came by, and he came by the same place, and he saw the same man, and he passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, the expert of the law, he replied, and he said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I want you to do something. Go back up to verse 25 with me. You'll see the question there that the lawyer asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What you need to know about this question is it's a great question, but with an underlying bad motive. You see, this lawyer wanted to trap Jesus. It wasn't only bad motive, it was bad theology. I mean, when you think about the theology of all this, and, and listen, we can apply it to our own lives today, because I think there might be a lot of us that try to work our way or earn our way into the good graces of our Father in heaven. And so this pertains to us today. It really does. And this is exactly what the lawyer believes. You see, the lawyer believes something that wasn't true. He believed he could earn eternal life. Anytime the word I, meaning you, is involved with salvation, you're probably on the wrong track. You're probably going down the wrong path because that's the way he starts this. He's trying to earn God's favor. Now, the lawyer was, was living a life that was built on a, a false assumption. He was living a life that that he believed he could earn his salvation. And so now watch what happens here. I want you to see how Jesus flips the script. I mean, Jesus is, is, is used to this by now. And so what happens is Jesus then asks the lawyer a question. And so this is common in any uh, legal dialogue. It's called a cross-examination. And so Jesus asked him, so what do you think? And, and Jesus asked, what does the law say? And the lawyer responds, the lawyer says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy, thy soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody know what he's quoting? He's quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's known in, in, in Israel as the Shema. It means to hear. And it was the most important things that you could do as a follower of Jehovah. And so he, he answers really well. I mean, he just says, hey, this is, this is the answer. Jesus then responds back in verse 28 and says, you have answered correctly. 
So do this and you will live. Now here's something about the response that Jesus had. It was hypothetical. What Jesus is saying here, we don't always get the full impact when we just read it in the English language or get the tone here. The, 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 the whole thing that Jesus is saying here, he's saying, have you ever met anyone that's done that? Are you someone who's done that? Do you know someone who's ever done this? And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. No one's ever done this perfectly except for the one that the lawyer is talking to. This is kind of interesting how this all shapes up. And so here's the point. Jesus is making it clear that the law can't save you. That your works cannot save you. See, the law says do this and that and you will live. In Romans chapter 3 verse 20 it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. The word is convicted. It's convicted. And then verse 23, for all have sinned, and you know the rest of this, and fall short of the glory of God. And so this is the point that Jesus is making with this, uh, this attorney. The law was never meant to cleanse you. The law was only meant to convict you. The law was only meant to bring you up to a, a certain place in your spiritual journey to begin to ask the question, where does my salvation come from? Where, where do I go to find salvation? Where do I go to be redeemed? Now I want you to look at verse 29. The attorney gets defensive. I said this earlier. He wants to kind of justify the direction he's going. I think he's actually scrambling a bit here. And he's trying to, he's trying to backtrack because he's trying to trap Jesus. But the one trying to trap Jesus is actually being trapped. He, he feels claustrophobic now. The, the walls are closing in on him. And he asks Jesus, okay then, you want to say that? You want to say it that way? Then who is, who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked. Because I, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you this, this parable that, that will hopefully shape your life. I want to tell you this parable that hopefully, hopefully changes you. And by the way, Luke is the only one that records this parable. There's no other gospel that actually tells us this story. So you got to go to Luke to find it. So Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan. And something, something you got to know when you dive into this story is to the Jews, Good and Samaritan was an oxymoron. A Good and Samaritan did not go together. It was to them water and oil. So Jesus made the most hated person among the Jews a hero in the story. So, so imagine, imagine you're, you're listening to this. You're a good Jew, and you're hearing what Jesus is saying. And, and I'm not so sure you get by the, the first sentence. I'm not so sure you, you might emotionally struggle a little bit when Jesus talks about a good Samaritan, the hero of the story. So this story would have totally shocked the Jewish listeners. And not only the Jews in general, it, it shocked the disciples as well. Because, see, the disciples are predisposed the same way. If you back up to that passage of Scripture that we talked about earlier in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51, I didn't read the rest, but if you read the rest of verse 55, Jesus says, hey, when you go to these towns, 
dust the, 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 take the dust off your sandals. Just shake the dust off your sandals if they don't want you. Well, it's about a Samaritan village that actually didn't want him. Didn't want the, 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 the followers of Jesus there. And, and so what do James and John do? Uh, they, wanted, they wanted to torch the Samaritans. You, they wanted, literally, you read it. They wanted to call fire from heaven and burn the Samaritans. Now, isn't that a little bit over the top? I mean, because Jesus was just saying, just shake the dust off your feet and go. They're saying, we're going to torch these guys. And Jesus says, hold on, boys, that, that you can't do that. And he rebuked them. He rebuked them for their attitude. So it's just not a general sense in the community that the Samaritans aren't like. It's in his own group of people here. And if you look at this in verse 31, notice how the, the legal response comes. Notice how the lawyer responds. He says, the one who had mercy on him. See, he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. And if you want to censor somebody, if you really want someone to feel like they're X'd and they're not really part of any dialogue or part of your life, you just don't mention their name. And so this attorney doesn't even say Samaritan. He says the one. Now, how would you like to be called out like that? Everyone knows who you're talking about, but the one, the one who had, had mercy on them. So why were these people so hated? They were so hated because they were overthrown and invaded the northern part of Israel in about 722 BC by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in and totally devastated them. I mean, wiped them out. And anyone that was left of Jewish heritage was left subjected under the Assyrian rule. And so what they do after a generation or two, the Jews in that area start to give in and they intermarry. And then they start to worship the Assyrian idols. And then they even go one step further, which was the big boo-boo, is they would not make the pilgrimages that you needed to make to Jerusalem as the center of their worship. See, they built altars up there in a place called Dan, and they worshiped these, ooh, these awful, awful gods. I've been there, I've stood in that place, and it's like you can still feel the demonic activity that went on there. So they totally turned their back on their Jewish lineage and their Jewish company and family and who they were. And so this is the reason the Jews don't like them. They don't like them because they're not, now they don't consider them part of anything, that they've, they've been X'd out. And then you look at this parable. And I think we're ready to really understand what's happening here when you look at this parable again. And let me read it. Just, just bear with me for a moment because I want you to hear this one more time. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him when he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. He walked around him, far away from him. So too, the Levite, when he came to that same place, he did exactly the same thing. He walked around. He saw him, but he, he walked around him. And, and then a Samaritan comes along, and what he does is he picks him up. He has pity on him. He bandages his wounds. He pours oil and wine on him. And then he puts him on his own donkey and, and he brings them, brings him to, to an inn and he puts him up and he pays for it. 
with two denarii. A denarii is about one day's worth of wages. So he gives two days worth of wages. Isn't that, isn't that so benevolent? You only need one. Maybe you're going to stay one, one night. He wants to make sure. He doubles up on it and he even goes further and he says, hey, if, if, you, if you have to treat him more or keep him around a little longer, when I come back, because I come back through this way, when I come back, then I'll take care of the rest of his bill. That is a benevolent, generous individual that, that would do that for a total stranger. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, you go and you, you do likewise. When I'm reading this story, I always want to make sure that, especially a parable, what are some of the takeaways? What are some of the things you might observe and you, you're able to pull out of this and apply to your own life? And so there were three things that just stood out to me as I, as I read this story. And I'm going to tell you what those three things are. And if you want to jot them down, you can do that. But number one is this. We see unexpected help from an unexpected source. Isn't that interesting? Unexpected help from an unexpected source. The last person... The very last person that the Jews would have looked to to help someone who had been robbed and beaten was a Samaritan. This was the person that in the story would have never again been the hero, would have never been the deliverer. In a Jewish story, his name or this, this, this nationality would have never been brought up. So Samaritans, again, were the enemies. So here, here's the, the application or the takeaway for me. When you're in a jam... When you feel beaten up, when you feel vulnerable, don't be surprised if God sends an unexpected source to help you with your issues and your problems, the things that you face. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, that you just felt, I mean, not, not just maybe physically beat up, but, but emotionally and spiritually beat up. And God sends someone in that you would have never, ever expected would be the answer. Or he, or he gives a solution to your problem of lack of provision, and it's not what you even expected. It's actually even more than you expect, but it's not what you expect. I mean, imagine if you're Jonah and you're thrown over the, the boat, and could, would you imagine a big fish swallowing you and, and burping you up on the seashore? That's not how you would imagine you would have been delivered. That's not what you're going to imagine. That's not the way that you're thinking about your deliverance or your salvation. And I can tell you one of the reasons why, and I know it's true for me, it's because I'm so prideful. See, I had this romantic idea. I had this romantic thought that if I'm in a jam, God is going to send, uh, God, God's going to send a knight in shining armor. God's going to send someone who, who, who's respectable. God's going to send somebody who really uh, meets my qualifications, even though I'm broke, even though I'm broken. I'm imagining this is the way God is going to work with me. Why? Because I have dignity to preserve. You know, I'm me. You, 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 I'm me. And, and, and God, you're gonna, you, need to, you need to line up with that. You know what God typically does when he brings help? He, he actually goes after that place right there where, where, where you self-protect. He goes after that, that place that you, that you want to hold on to, that, that dignity, that respect. He goes there. 
And he says, no, you got to drop all that. You got to drop all that. If you want salvation, you got to drop all that. Because I went to the cross and I dropped all of that. I was on the cross naked for you. I was humiliated for you. And so when I come to you and rescue you, just expect that it might come from an unexpected source. So what if God brings deliverance to you in your life and it doesn't happen the way that you anticipate? Could it be that your anticipation, your idea of how you should be saved or redeemed, could that get in the way of actual redemption in your life? Can that actually blind you to the answer that God has been bringing all along? It's, it's, it's something I think that, that I, I need to pay attention to. And I, I, I need to surrender that, and I need to say, Lord, you're the, you're the one in charge. In this story, the ones expected to help didn't help. See, the priests went to the other side of the road, so the people that you thought would help didn't help. The priest looks the other way. He, he, here it is. He doesn't have to solve the problem if he doesn't see the problem. See? See, maybe we're... We're there a little bit like that in our, in our own culture. You see, if I, if I go to the other side and I don't see, I don't look, if I don't see the problem, I'm not responsible. I'm not obligated to solve the problem. And then, and then a Levite comes along. Now, if a priest doesn't respond, you, you'd think a Levite would. And the reason you'd think a Levite would do that is because it's in his bloodline. I mean, that's what their, their, their whole life, they're raised to be Levites, to be the godly leaders, to be the people in community you can look to when you needed help. These were the Levites. And so, so the Levite comes and you would think he would do something different. Nope, he doesn't. He doesn't. He, he walks right past the man. And to me, let me, let me say this, to me, to me, this is scary when I, when I read this story, because, you know, I might be in here somewhere. These are churched people. Let's, let's make it real. These are church people. These are people who, who, who live in church, who make their living out of church. It's a priest. It's a Levite. These are religious leaders in our story. See, what happens here is they can get their doctrine right, but they get love wrong. You see, that's what happened here. We can get our doctrine right all we want, but we don't always get our love right. See, I come to church and I, I learn, and it's good that I learn about doctrine and how important that is. But what happens is they might have succeeded in the church, but they were failing in the world. And listen, God has called you to be who you are in the church, obviously, but be a light in the world. You can't fail in the world. You need Jesus. You need the good news of Jesus Christ to those people that are beaten and laying alongside the road. You need to come along. We need to come along and bring hope to those that are broken. The priest and the Levite didn't think it was their responsibility to help this man up. You know, that's not my job. That's not my job. I, I didn't cause the problem. Then why should I help you when I wasn't the one who knocked you down? You know, I've heard that a lot. I've heard that a lot, you know, in conversations I've had, especially in this last year or so, is like, hey, I didn't, I didn't cause the problem, so, so man, I, I don't have a responsibility to this. Listen, that's not the nature of the gospel. 
The nature of the gospel goes a whole lot further than that. Listen, I can understand when someone who, who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I can, I can understand that perspective. But, but if you're a believer, I'm going to challenge that perspective. If you're someone who's accepted and lived by the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to challenge that perspective because the only reason we are standing today, the only reason we are here is because God solved the problem that he didn't cause. He didn't cause your problems. He didn't go out and make you sin. He didn't tempt you to sin. You see, this is, the, this is the nature of the gospel. The gospel is the story of God getting mankind out of a problem that mankind got itself into. So the good news is, is God saved us from ourselves. <laughs> that, that's the good news. God didn't say to Adam, now, listen, you broke it, so you figure it out. You know, you, you did it, man. You did what you weren't supposed to. You, you lied and you denied and you did all that. So you go ahead and fix it. God didn't do that. What I love about the story in the garden is, is, is God still maintained his presence. He still, he still walked in the evening. He still was there and you knew where to find him. You knew where to go. You knew where he was. His presence didn't leave you. He never left you. He never forsakes you. Even when you're broken, he's there and you can find him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel says, even though I, I, I didn't help you break it, I'm going to help you fix it. Even though I didn't help you do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come alongside. The good news is that while I was still broken, while I was still an enemy, Romans chapter 5 says, and I was a long way off, <laughs> that you came to my rescue. You came and saved me. I've been brought near, Paul says in Ephesians 2, I've been brought near by the precious blood of the Lamb. What I hope happens in this, in this story is, is our perspectives are challenged. What are the things that I I've went on my way believing? Because I think in a lot of ways, I know my, my, my tendency is to run the other way when I see a problem or defend myself. And that brings me to the second thought here. And just, just the last few thoughts is, here's another takeaway. Your existence is an answer to a problem. The very reason that you're here on this planet, the very reason that God comes and brings his salvation to you is, is you're an answer to the problem. The gospel gives you purpose. The gospel gives you destiny. You, you were born for such a time as this. You aren't a mistake. You are, you're here for a reason. And there, there are times we question it, especially when we're going through a difficult time. What is my purpose? Do I really have a purpose? You absolutely do have a purpose in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians, the first chapter, Jesus in you is the hope of God's glory, the hope of God's presence here on this planet. How are we shining that light? How are we bringing that hope? Because when you bring hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're bringing hope to those that are lost and dying. You see, you, you're an answer to a problem. You're the salt and the light in a pandemic-riddled world. And I know it's hard. It's hard to stand up. It's hard to know where to even stand today, isn't it? 
Where do I stand? What do I say? How do I move forward? Listen, the gospel will always get you in the right place. It will always get you where God wants you to be. And when we stand and doing everything to stand, we stand fast in Jesus Christ. That, that's the word. That's the call. And then the, the third thing here is uh, this was an opportunity in the midst of adversity. See, this was an opportunity in the midst of adversity, and the two church people missed it. They had an opportunity in the middle of adversity to help a man who was broken alongside the road. See, I wonder how many times I've been blinded by my own, my own woes, my own adversity, and I didn't see the opportunity, the divine opportunity. You see, the church, you have been wired for such a day as this. You've been, you've been wired. You have a heroic nature. It's part of your DNA that we see a problem, we face a crisis, and we serve, and we pray, and we love, and we do all those kinds of things that we have been asked to do. And so now we're in this, this crisis, and, and here's the truth. Here's the truth. Man, some of the divine adrenaline's wearing off. It's kind of getting old, taking three steps forward and two steps back and sideways and a shuffle. I don't know sometimes. But I do know that you, you've been made to bring opportunity in the middle of adversity. What we're facing right now during this pandemic is incredibly difficult. But you've been wired for Jesus Christ. You've been wired to do the things that you've been called to do. That you would follow him. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? First of all, I just want to in, invite any of you that are listening today, whether you're here present on this campus or online, I want to invite you to a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you're sensing that lostness. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're like this man on the side of the road and you just need help. Well, Jesus is the one who will bring help to us. So today, if you're looking for that help, if you're looking for that salvation, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and salvation is yours. Confess your sins and he'll forgive us of our sins. And we invite him in to be the Lord of our lives because we can't conduct our own affairs we can't. Uh, uh, it seems like well, maybe we're in control, but we really aren't. It's only the God of this universe, uh, a caring, a loving God that has sent to us his son, Jesus Christ. So you can just call out on the Lord. The Bible says you can call out on the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation will be yours. Father, we want to thank you today for what you've done for us and um, what you provided for us. Lord, we just pray in Jesus' name that we would rise up by the power of your Holy Spirit. We would respond to the time we live because the gospel is relevant today. In every season, in every time, in every age, in every day, the gospel, the good news, is relevant. 
We thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen.